Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to a most unusual episode of the Rick and Tom podcast. It's always interesting when I have Joe Smith because we have a tendency to record from different places. Last time was outside a bar in St. Petersburg, an outdoor bar. And this time we're actually in my car. We were kicked out of the Tampa Bay Times Forum following the All-Star Game. We're going to talk about the All-Star Game in just a moment. Joe Smith and I, the Lightning Beat writer, will get into that. And also Rick Stroud will join us from Minneapolis. He is there for Super Bowl 52, which is next Sunday. He arrived in Minneapolis on Sunday, so he'll give us a report coming up in just a little bit. But first, let's talk NHL All-Star Game, and it was a uh, a great weekend. And Joe, I think my favorite thing this entire weekend was Brian Boyle, the former Tampa Bay Lightning Center. I wrote about him in the Tampa Bay Times and on TampaBay.com. Uh, it was an interesting story. He, of course, uh, was diagnosed with leukemia last September. Didn't even know if he'd be able to play this season. Turns out he's played and played well, and uh, and is good enough to, to earn an all-star call when uh, when one of his teammates was injured and unable to play in the game. Well, he almost didn't come to the game because his son, Declan, two-year-old son, uh, has an issue with a uh, with a vein in his chin. They thought it was a tumor at first. Turns out he's going to be okay. But Joe, you covered Brian Boyle for, for three years while he was here in Tampa Bay. He's a great guy, and you can understand why the, the Lightning fans... Uh, were so supportive and, and gave him such an ovation while he was here. Oh, it was tremendous. It was the best moment of the weekend, I think. Uh, you look at, he was probably my favorite person ever to cover. Just a down-to-earth guy. Just like, and not a big guy, but a regular <laughs> down-to-earth guy. And he was such a big heart. And he, the, the city really opened their arms uh, and their hearts to Brian Boyle. And he wasn't the best player. He wasn't the star on this team. You know, he he wasn't the most high-profile player. like a bottom six player, a penalty killer, but he one of those glue guys, those heart and soul guys in the team that everybody kind of gravitates towards. He was a big part of guys, younger guys like Kucherov and them growing up and maturing as a player. So um, the Lightning fans, savvy as they are, recognize the fact that this was the biggest story of the weekend and how well-loved he was here. No one, they didn't want him to leave at all. They wanted him to be re-signed last summer, so I had to give him a standing ovation and chanted his name several times. It must have been uh, one of the experiences of a lifetime for Brian Boyle. Yeah, I talked to Brian Boyle after the game, after the skills competition and after the game on Sunday, and he was just, uh, he said, I can't thank the fans enough for everything they've done for me and the ovation that they gave. He wasn't going to come to the All-Star game, and it was his wife, Lauren, who talked him into going and saying, look, you've been waiting to play in this game your whole life. Our son's okay. He had just gotten through with another procedure last week uh, and, and really was still unconscious as of Saturday morning and then he woke up and uh, Boyle told a really cool story about how his wife showed videos, uh, sent sent Brian Boyle a video of his son watching him play in the All-Star game, which he thought was a really cool moment, but he called Lauren his greatest teammate and it was really a, a cool emotional story and, and as you mentioned, Joe, you know, you talk about um, how fans really wanted him to stay in Tampa Bay. I probably got 
not as many emails, but almost as many emails last year about, boy, they really not, really need to re-sign Brian Boyle, as I did when Steven Stamkos <laughs> was up for free agency. That's how much the fans loved him. So it was really a cold moment for uh, for Brian Boyle. The weekend, though, Joe, pretty much other than that, belonged to Steven Stamkos. You followed Steven from, for pretty much every step of the way through this All-Star weekend. He's got to be exhausted, but... I thought he did a really nice job as the ambassador uh, of the city and of the organization. Oh, he absolutely did. And you look at Stephen Samkos, and you know him as well as I do. He's more of a low-key guy, kind of a rather be kind of behind the scenes, which is kind of a funny considering he's one of the biggest stars in the game. But he he gets it. He knows that he has you know he's the face of the franchise. He knows he's unofficial host as a captain of the Atlantic Division team. He, so he went out there every single autograph session, uh, youth hockey game on Friday, a sponsor event like. He, the biggest thing he wanted said he wanted to do this weekend was kind of show off the city that has become right. his second home, which we wrote about in Sunday's Tampa Bay Times, that cover story with that. But, um, you know, P.K. Subban is the guy who was on the stage in the concert on Friday night, getting the crowd hyped, but it was Steven Stamkos who everybody came to see. And I think he didn't score a goal in the, in the All-Star game, but I think overall what he did on and off the ice – uh, really typified kind of player and kind of person he is to be able to kind of say, hey, I'm going to be the kind of the model for everybody to follow. I'm going to be the guy in Tampa and bring the light, uh, spotlight onto what is really a, a really good hockey town. You know, I was thinking of this, Joe, as I was watching him be introduced on Sunday, and he came out, and really on Saturday night as well, and the biggest ovation of the crowd was, was for Steven Stamkos. And you wonder if this is going to have an impact. Look, he's already played in a couple of, East, what, three Eastern Conference Finals now, one very early in his career, and then a of course, two here in the last few years. Um, at the same time, uh, he was in a Stanley Cup final, so he's been in big games before. He's, you know, he's been in the, uh, uh, he's been in, in big championship games. So it's not like this is all new to him. But I have the feeling, Joe, that this experience of the weekend, he, he has sort of matured to the point where he's sort of a full-grown NHL player. And you wonder now if this is really going to help come playoff time again. Just another experience of him maturing as a player. He's fully matured now. Oh, he is. I mean, he's 28 years old. He feels like one of the old guys in the league, considering the, the talent we saw today with Austin Matthews and Brooke Bozer, the MVP of the All-Star game. But I think I talked to him after the after this, uh, after this game today, and he really just said, you know, I've been through a lot of injuries. I've been up and down. And you kind of you don't take these things for granted anymore. You, you don't know. I didn't know I'd be back to the All-Star game this year, or who knows when I'd be back to the All-Star game. So I think he, he's like, these are the moments you look at the end of your career and really treasure and cherish because, you know, it's a whirlwind weekend this weekend. He might not be able to remember everything else, but I think he'll look back on this one. It's one of the special weekends of his career. I mean, he may win a Stanley Cup, he may win two Cups, but you only have one opportunity, I think, in your lifetime to be the, the host of an All-Star game is in your city that you're the face of the franchise for. And I think he recognizes that at this point in his career. I think another guy, and we'll talk about Nikita Kucherov in just a moment, uh, Joe, but a guy that, uh, really that, that made a name for himself over the weekend, too, was Braden Point, who nearly won the fastest skater competition against Connor McDavid, who is clearly the fastest skater in the National Hockey League, although Braden Point really gave him a run for his money. He scores a goal in the All-Star game. Joe, I got to think, you know, have, I talked to Brain Point on Saturday. He sort of has this, oh, shucks, I can't believe I'm here. I can't believe I'm an all-star. But, look, he deserves to be in that game. And you'd have to think that this experience over the weekend is going to speed up his maturation process as well. It could be a tremendous boost for him. And I talked to him after the World Championships for Team Canada uh, last May when, and with a lot of the guys on there from 
from Alex Kaloran to Abe McKinnon said he might have been one of the best players on Team Canada. And I think he's been catching people by surprise for most of his career from juniors on up. And last year made the team out of camp. No one thought he'd make, even John Cooper didn't think he'd make the team out of camp. He did. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, he's not going to be surprised anymore, Tom. All of a right. sudden, I think the game like this on the biggest stage where all the different best star players in the world, uh, he's going to get recognized both not only by, by people in the league, but by fans, I think. And he won't be any surprise anymore. So I think it's really a good boost for his confidence. That the Lightning knows anybody who watches him closely, like you and me, Tom, know he's one of the straws that screws their drink. And so I think now the league will get a better appreciation. The fans will get a better appreciation of what everybody who plays against them and with them knows is that he's a star in this league. After two periods of that All Star game, Joe, it looked like Nikita Kucherov had the inside track on being the MVP. He had the hat trick. Pretty cold moment where once he got the hat trick, not only did fans throw their, their uh, hats on the ice, but at the encouragement of John Cooper. The uh, lighting coach, who was coach of the uh, of the All Star team, uh, they encouraged, he encouraged the players to throw their helmets out on the ice. But boy, Nikita Kucherov, that I, I think what again you recognize in this Joe and look, I realize it's three on three, it's an exhibition game, no one's really playing defense. The skill on this guy is just amazing. He's uh, one of the best players in the world. I think anybody would you'd ask from Tavares to Subban, everybody says he's top three guy in the league and it's funny Tom going to this media day he said how terrible he's been playing the last couple weeks he hadn't scored in seven games and really felt bad about himself and then on Saturday we watched the skills competition it took him like an hour to do the, 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 the passing <laughs> challenge you know and so he's a very competitive and prideful guy so he's really down after Saturday just kind of disappointed and Steven Samkos went up to him and said hey listen don't sweat it you know, have a good game tomorrow, score a couple goals, and that's all people would be talking about. And that was quite prophetic and question right there because everything was talking about today other than the Brian Boyles was that fantastic fake shot slash goal he had on that breakaway Braden Holtby. So I think that just, we saw that before last year in the show against Buffalo, but to do it in this kind of a quick setting on the All-Star game, I think just shows uh, everybody, every player in there was kind of wowed how he did that. It's funny, Joe, the the three-on-three format for the All-Star game, we started off and we watched the first period of that game, and the first half of that first period I thought was thought was rather boring, and there wasn't much energy in the building, and we were even talking about, wow, how can they spruce this thing up? Can they, maybe they add music or something to the to the uh, to you know to sort of play on the PA while the game is going on? Um, and then it picked up after that. What do you think of the three-on-three format? Is it something you think the league will continue to do? Because it, there was more energy when the lighting players were involved, but overall, how do you feel about the three-on-three? Well, I mean, I think it's hard for an all-star game to replicate any type of competitive nature than you would in any, you know, regular season game. Other than maybe baseball is probably the most truish or natural, most, right. you know, more game-like situation. But I think the three-on-three uh, is able to bring out all that talent and all that skill that we see for all these young guys. And they aren't going 100%. They'll, they're having some fun. Some guys are back-checking, though, today. Some people are being more defense than I thought they would be. <laughs> but I think overall, I, I think you can do some things to maybe play some music during during the game, spice it up a little bit like they do for the home run derby and that kind of thing. But overall, three-on-three, three, the kind of players you saw today, I, I think I'm all for it. I think it's a fun way to do it. You put $25,000 on the line, get some players a little more motivated to do it. And I think at the end of the day, the end finished product, I think, was a success, I think, today. It was also, I thought, a good weekend, Joe. I wasn't really sure how it was all going to work out with Gasparilla. You got, what, 300,000 people coming to uh, to downtown Tampa and, and heading over to Bayshore Boulevard. And we had the the uh, the All-Star game, obviously, was going on as well. And it, it seemed like the two worked very well together. Gary Bettman, Commissioner of League, bragged about it. Um, I think Tampa pulled it off, Joe. I thought it was a pretty good weekend for Tampa and for, for the Lightning. It was. I think everybody was worried about how 
you know, how, what kind of mess or disaster it would be to have these two events going forward. I think people forget that they've had Gasparilla on nights of lightning games several yeah. times, and that's a lot more traffic from local traffic from people going to that game than it would be for here. Most people, a lot of people are coming from out of town and just walking around. staying in hotels. Staying in hotels, nearby, too, yeah. and walking around. And we were driving there and back, and it wasn't that bad. And you walk around, and it's such a cool thing to see you know, the media hotel people walking with pirate costumes and the girls all dressed up. And, like, you know, there was some overflow back and forth. And I think the players got a kick out of it. I mean, Eric Carlson and Victor Hedman were, they ordered Amazon, they ordered pirate costumes and wore that into the arena. Like, I think the players, I think it got a little bit more of a buzz or a vibe the weekend that would ordinarily be there just for hockey fans. And so I think overall, considering all the, the, the mayhem it could have been there, uh, give credit to, to Lightning, to Tampa to uh, Gasparilla folks and the Sports Commission for pulling up another big event here in Tampa. No, absolutely. It worked out great. Hey, Joe, before we let you go, um, now that the All-Star Game's over and it was a successful All-Star Game, Lightning's got some business uh, to take care of. They go now on a four-game trip, the continuation of what ultimately is going to be an eight-game road trip broken up here by the All-Star Game. They started off the last road trip, four games, a little bit rough with a, with a bad loss. Looked like they were in a real funk. And now they've sort of bounced back now, three wins in a row. They head out on the road now for four in a row. So so where are the Lightning uh, right now? And what can you tell us about, you mentioned Victor Hedman. How close might he be to returning to the lineup? Well, first of all, Hedman, because it's a very important news for the Lightning, is that he's returned to skating. He was skating on Saturday at Emily Arena before the skills competition and felt really good. And, and people thought he'd be out between three to six weeks when he got injured. Uh, January 11th against Calgary before the bye week, and it looks like it'll be closer to the three-week than the six-week mark. But the, th- the third third week is be this Thursday. I don't know if he'll be back then, but he was kind of coy saying he may join the team on this road trip this week for more practices. But uh, encouraging news so far. We don't know if he'll be back this week for this trip, but we know that he's getting closer in skating to practicing, which means he's not that far away. Uh- Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. For the road trip, this is a, this is a part of the eight game road trip with the all-star game in between to go three when three or four on that road trip they got some of their swagger back saw Andrew Vasilevsky found his game Steven Samkos had his game tying goal his signature moment of the season I think in my opinion uh, in that win uh, over Nashville so I think you've seen a lot of promising signs of them getting kind of that confidence that edge back that they were playing with that competitiveness and that that work ethic that they had before so they're not there yet but I think any team that wins a cup or goes deep has a funk like this in them and it looks like they're in the early sense of getting their way out of it. All right, thanks a lot, Joe. We appreciate your time. As I said, uh, only Joe Smith and I managed to pick the coolest locations for our podcast. Today it happened to be uh, the front of my car as we're driving back to St. Petersburg following All-Star Weekend. It was a very successful weekend. Let's now continue with our uh, special podcast and send it up to Minneapolis where Rick Straub comes to us from Super Bowl 52. Thanks, Tom. Rick Stroud from Minnesota, actually sitting out here in Bloomington, which is right outside of Minneapolis near the airport, and that's where everything's going to take place, near the Mall of America this week. Super Bowl 52, of course, it's Patriots 
and the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, both teams are around here, sort of on either side of the Mall of America. That's where Radio Row will be. That's where the media will be. That's where we'll have a lot of our interviews, except for tomorrow night, of course, Super Bowl Monday night, as they call it. Uh, we'll be in St. Paul, Minnesota. Both teams will arrive. We'll talk to the Patriots first around 8 o'clock, and then shortly after that, the Philadelphia Eagles get to town. So it's all things Super Bowl. We also have some breaking news tonight. I wrote a story about Dirk Cutter naming Todd Munkin as their full-time offensive coordinator. Of course, he coached wide receivers and had the title of offensive coordinator. Now he's going to be what Dirk sort of termed a full-time walk-around offensive coordinator, and uh, they will have a new wide receivers coach. We can talk about that and just what is behind that decision for Dirk Cutter whether he will call plays. He didn't want to get real specific, and I can tell you that right now. He said that that was pretty much all he was willing to announce, but we'll speculate on uh, the reasons for that move. But it is Super Bowl 52. That's why we are here as the New England Patriots uh, playing their eighth Super Bowl under Bill Belichick and Tom Brady. Just remarkable, remarkable achievement uh, for those two guys, and especially when you look at Tom Brady attempting to do what he's doing at 40, We'll talk about all the 40-year-old quarterbacks. I think the storylines in this Super Bowl are going to be uh, pretty spectacular. It will start with the Patriots, as it always does when they're involved in this game, which is damn near every year, as it turns out. But it's going to be about Brady, about Belichick, about Bob Kraft, uh, you know, all that's been written in the ESPN story by Seth Wickersham, which many of them have pushed back on. Of course, you have the trade of Jimmy Garoppolo, uh, Brady's trainer, Alex Guerrero, factors into that craft behind his quarterback, I guess playing until he's 50 years old. I mean, look, Brady's a freak. Let's just say that right off the top. Not many guys have been able to achieve what he has at this age. He is 40 years old, attempting to win a Super Bowl at that age. And, you know, there's been, there's been 40-year-old quarterbacks in this league that have had some achievement. Brett Favre had one of his best years at age 40. He went on to the FC Championship game. Of course, he lost to the New Orleans Saints that year, and he came back the next year unretired again. Had a bad season. I think he threw like, I don't know, 13 interceptions and 11 touchdowns or something like that. Warren Moon played into his 40s. I think he was 42 with Kansas City Chiefs. Matt Hasselbeck, of course, played until he was 40. Peyton Manning was 39, just a a month or so shy of his 40th birthday, and he won a Super Bowl. Now, when I say he won it, he wasn't playing well. I mean, he was, I think, 0 for 13 on third down in that game and threw for under 150 yards, but you know he might have been a caddy. Nonetheless, he did uh, play and win a Super Bowl. What Brady is doing, though, to stay at the top of his game at an age well past uh, people performing at that position is just remarkable. So we'll get a lot from Tom Brady. We'll get a lot from uh, the story about Nick Foles. Talk about two guys on the other end of the spectrum. He's, you know, Foles is a bit of a Cinderella story if you will, a backup quarterback. And let's face it, you know, there's been a lot of backup quarterbacks win the Super Bowl. In fact, I think nine teams have won the Super Bowl with their backup quarterback. And some of these names are you'll know pretty well. I mean, going back in the late 60s, Johnny Unitas getting hurt or Morrill coming in. One year, Morrill was the MVP of the league when Unitas got hurt. Uh, he did not win the Super Bowl that year. He lost to Joe Namath in the Jets, but he did come back and uh, – Replace Unitas in Super Bowl, I think it was five, and he won that game. Super Bowl six, remember Craig Morton for the Dallas Cowboys? He was the starter. Roger Stahlback, they went back and forth between those two guys. Stahlback finally uh, won 10 straight games, won Super Bowl six over the Miami Dolphins. Even Bradshaw in his first Super Bowl was kind of in and out of the lineup with Joe Gilliam. Even Terry Hanready played a few weeks. 
Bradshaw winds up beating the Vikings in his first Super Bowl, 16-6. The Raiders had Jim Plunkett. We all remember him. We remember uh, the Redskins and Doug Williams, the former Bucks quarterback, of course, took over for Jay Schrader, was the MVP of that game, I believe. Super Bowl 25 in Tampa with the uh, Giants. Jeff Hostetler had taken over for Phil Simms. They beat the Buffalo Bills in an exciting Super Bowl, one of the iconic Super Bowls. Uh, that we remember there in Tampa, Super Bowl 34, might have been the most famous backup in Super Bowl history. Kurt Warner gets the job in training camp. Trent Green goes down with a knee injury, and it looked like the Rams season was over before it started, and here comes the legend of Kurt Warner uh, who goes on and, and wins that Super Bowl. Trent Dilfer, another Bucks quarterback, of course, with the Ravens in 2000. He took over for Tony Banks, was sort of the caddy of that great uh, – Ravens defense that wound up destroying the Giants in the Super Bowl there in Tampa. And even Brady again. Everything comes back to Tom Brady. It's six degrees of Tom Brady. He actually was a backup quarterback when he won his first Super Bowl. If you recall, Drew Bledsoe was the starter. Mo Lewis knocked him out in week two. Brady led the Pats to 11-3 and record after that. And actually Brady got hurt in the AFC Championship game after the tuck rule game with the Raiders. And uh, Bledsoe came in, but it was Brady who started the Super Bowl and beat Kurt Warner's St. Louis Rams back uh, in New Orleans in Super Bowl 36. So lots going on with Nick Foles. He's in good company if he's able to pull this off. Uh, other storylines, of course, you have both coordinators for the New England Patriots that will be leaving their jobs after this game. Josh McDaniels become the head coach of the Colts. You have Matt Patricia who will become the head coach of the Detroit Lions. Uh, you know, you consider... Uh, that AFC South division now with a heavy influence of, of ex-Patriots, if you will. Bill O'Brien, of course, coaching with it, the Texans. And then, uh, you know, so you've got, you got lots of that. you got local ties in this Super Bowl. We're going to have a chance this week to talk to Berkeley Preps Nelson Aguilar. Of course, you know, very good, a productive receiver for the Philadelphia Eagles in his first really, um, you know, outstanding season. He's got more catches, I think, and touchdowns in his first two years combined. Bernard Reedy, remember him with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? Back last summer, he was making $11 an hour, helping out with uh, driving some handicapped folks in St. Petersburg. He's on this football team. We'll talk about how the Eagles and Howie Roseman has proven you can rebuild an NFL team, taking over from the disaster of Chip Kelly, and in two years, not four, not five, uh, taking this team to a Super Bowl. It's just remarkable. There'll be more Brady, of course, him being back in Minnesota, a place where he grew up just a few miles from Minneapolis in Brownsville, Minnesota, uh, a few hundred miles actually. Uh, he spent a lot of time in the summers and in the winters fishing and milking cows, and we'll talk all about that, of course. Just so many good storylines here at Super Bowl 52, and we're going to bring it all to you. It all starts tomorrow with the event of course, uh, at uh, Super Bowl 52, the big night when the teams arrive in St. Paul. So we'll be there for that. Okay, let's let's get on this story now about Dirk Cutter deciding to name Todd Munkin as his full-time offensive coordinator. Munkin, of course, came to the Bucks a few years ago as uh, the wide receivers coach, and he did an outstanding job with guys like Mike Evans and Adam Humphreys, and this year with Chris Godwin. But for some reason, Cutter feels like he needs Munkin's more attention on the offense. And for that reason, he's going to promote uh, Skyler Fulton to wide receivers coach. Fulton was a guy who played receiver for 
Dirk Cutter at Arizona State for several years. He's an offensive assistant last year. Now he moves to promoted to wide receiver coach. So there's a lot of lot of intrigue about what's going on here. And I, you know, I talked to Cutter. We exchanged some text messages. He didn't want to get into it right now. He didn't want to get into the reason behind the move, whether he planned to still call plays. I mean, that was what he announced at the end of the season. I would think he will still call them. I don't think it's a slam dunk. I think that you know there's a situation where you might have Munkin call it in the off season, maybe even in the training camp, see how it goes, see how much input. But clearly, there's there's got to be some some sound reasoning for doing this, even though he doesn't want to tell us just yet. And anything that involves the offense, you have to believe, is something involving Jameis Winston. It might just be another voice. It might just be a different voice for Jameis Winston. Uh, more interaction with the Bucks quarterback, maybe on on the field, off the field situations that Dirk Cutter uh, can help out with, as well as coordinating the entire offense. But uh, you know, you remember the story last year, and they both denied it. Ian Rapoport saying that their relationship with you know Dirk Cutter and Jameis Winston was not in a good place. Munkin saying that that's just like any relationship you have. You sort of ride the roller coaster when things aren't going well. And look, no matter what you say about Winston, his biggest thing last year was his injury, in my opinion. I mean, he played three games with his shoulder. He was hurt. Probably shouldn't have played. Uh, and then, you know, then he had to miss three games with the shoulder injury. So that certainly affected him. As far as numbers go, I mean, you look at his numbers, uh, you know, the, the completion percentage was up. The yards per attempt was up. About flat as far as touchdowns, interception ratio. He had some big turnovers and some big fumbles. Uh, but the biggest number was 3-10. and 10. That was his record. And that's that's the part that wasn't good. So some people might say he plateaued. I think that's, that's the word I use. Maybe it's a little too strong. Um, but he certainly did not take that next step. So I think any situation like this involving uh, Munkin with more attention uh, would have to involve the quarterback at some level. And also just for Dirk Cutter. Uh, you know, maybe he feels like there's a situation where he has to be more in tune with his football team and not uh, so tied down to the play calling and so tied down to game planning on the offensive side of the ball. And we remember, you know, the image of Cutter walking the sidelines with a play sheet while Jameis Winston, who's been knocked out of the game, is, you know, poking Marshawn Lattimore in New Orleans in the back of the helmet. And here comes Mike Evans, you know, off the top rope uh, with the blindside tackle, and he's suspended for a game. And that happened just a few feet away. So, you know, there are some things that the head coach might want to pay more attention to. It could be another side of the ball, even though, you know, certainly they haven't changed coordinators as far as special teams go. Uh, or uh, or Mike Smith on, as a defensive coordinator. But there's a lot of reasons and a lot of intrigue, a lot of speculation of why this is happening. And really, it's not that different from what other teams do. You know, There's a lot of head coaches that call plays. They have full-time offensive coordinators. This is a chance for Munkin uh, to concentrate full-time on just the offense and, and helping in any way he can. So we'll get more into that as the week goes on. We'll have lots more from Super Bowl 52 in Minneapolis as we just get underway uh, here tomorrow and then through the week, of course, interviews all week long leading up to Sunday's game. So stay with us on the podcast, and uh, we'll look forward to talking to you all week long from Minneapolis. All right, thanks for listening to the Rick and Tom podcast. Thanks for subscribing. You can check us out on iTunes or Google Play, wherever you get your podcast. Thanks to our producer, Steve Firstnick for putting this all together tonight and every night. We appreciate his efforts, and uh, don't, be, don't forget to uh, check in rest of the week. Rick Stroud will be in Minneapolis throughout the week, giving us the latest from Super Bowl 52. You can check us out on Twitter, the podcast. Uh, 
podcast Twitter handle is at Rick Tom Podcast. You can reach Strahd at NFL Strahd. You can reach me at Tom W. Jones. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you next time. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 